September 5th, 1774, the First Continental Congress meets in Philadelphia and proposes throwing D-sized batteries at redcoats. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And joining us once again, uh, you know her, you love her, Kate Strobel, everyone. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course, thank you for being here once again. Uh, And we're back after a brief intermission where I want to say right away, I recognize I accidentally called the post on the website, we watched the Bratz movie, and... uh, Posted an we, entirely different episode. Completely different. Irrelevant to the Bratz movie. There is an episode of that podcast where we did watch the Bratz movie, which yeah. one day I'm sure will come out when we inevitably have another cause to, to delay recording. But yes. um, today is not that day. No, we are Aragorn not talking about said. the Bratz movie. Although we could. I don't know if Kate's seen it. But... I have not. Oh, well, <laughs> well it's a fun um, time. Get an edible from your local. <laughs> but we don't we don't watch the Bratz movie no more on this podcast. <laughs> no. We'll see. If it gets old enough, it could become a topic. That's you know. true. Yeah. I think we have a like a I don't know, we have a, like an unofficial 30 years ago policy. So if we keep doing this this podcast for like 15 more years, years okay. I think maybe the Bratz movie will qualify as history. I mean, I think there's more that goes into it than that. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe fucking John Voight will be relevant again. Yeah. Hopefully well, not. Maybe the Bratz movie too. will have an unusually huge resonance on the uh, 2020 election. <laughs> It'll be like, uh, during the debates, both the candidates will talk about the Bratz movie. <laughs> <laughs> and which one of them is John Voight in the Bratz movie and which one is, is not and which one is all four Bratz yeah. would we be surprised if that happened yeah. <laughs> I mean at this point I don't know that I'm capable of being surprised um, I don't want to say that because then I inevitably will be Listen, they're, they're, they're kind of both John Voight yeah, but Trump is more John Voight in the Bratz movie. <laughs> yeah, Tr- he's obsessed is- with his daughter, uh, John yeah. Voight in the Bratz movie. He's very into fascist imagery. Yes, actually, <laughs> this, this is all falling together. Okay, we're doing his a Bratz hair, episode. His hair is like very comb over bad, <laughs> and John Voight is in real life like a Republican. Yeah, that's, so, that's the part I was kind of. I did not do the deep analysis. But <laughs> both of them seem like they shouldn't be in this part. So. <laughs> oh, God. Um, this, is, uh, this is a comedy history podcast for those who uh, have, not, uh, have not listened before, uh, in which we discuss a person or uh, event from history and then provide the quote-unquote, real version of that person or event as it occurred in your lame-ass history textbooks you had to read as a stupid-ass high school and or college kid if you were privileged. Um, (laughs) It's taking so many turns. (laughs) 
and then on a mountain road with no guardrails. Or maybe you just got high and read about it on Wikipedia one night. But regardless, after that, we give an alternate version of that history, which can be as batshit bananas as anybody uh, wants it to be. Uh, that is entirely up to the person telling the story. Um, could be uh, as crazy as, say, you know, the... the <laughs> I'm trying to think uh, of examples that aren't the Bratz movie. <laughs> yeah, the Bratz movie is kind of where my mind went initially. <laughs> Man, I really need to watch Listen, I mean <laughs> You can go Adam West Batman Or you can go Christopher Nolan Batman That is up to you, you know However however crazy you want it to be um, So uh, Maybe yeah. not the Ben Affleck Batman I don't know You can go there, you we can. won't vote for it It's just going to be <laughs> depressing And poorly written yeah. So Don't That's know why anybody would give a shit and then we'll release a four-hour cut of each episode afterwards. Yeah. And we have them. We have them for every episode. Uh, if, if it weren't for Joss Whedon, every episode would be four hours long. <laughs> it's the one good thing he's done in a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last time we talked about uh, Dipple. Was it John Robert Dipple? Uh, Johan Conrad Dipple. Johan Conrad Dipple. I Americanized it like the slime that I am. <laughs> I, mean, I just took one of the names and was like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. We're going to we'll go with Robert. The real life Frankenstein. Uh, we ended up doing the alternate history, which I recall had elements of Breaking Bad and a few other things. It's a fun episode, but it's hard for us to keep track of these things. <laughs> listen i'm on again i am on uh i am on daytime medicine yes so, <laughs> that's uh, the other thing that usually happens on this podcast is that one of us is on a brand name over the counter daytime cold and flu remedy for sure that but this time spray mill yeah exactly <laughs> uh and for once it's me it's usually brian mm-hmm. um but this week we are talking about robert ross and I believe Brian is going to be giving us the true history of Robert Ross. Ronald Ross. Ronald Ross. Just keeping in the theme of mixing up the first name of the topic. Just zigging when we think you're going to zag. Yeah. I mean, that's also day uh, medicine, folks. <laughs> I don't know why I'm concerned about copyright. Yeah, we're going to get sued to shit because... Now, Nix. now, Dayquil is going to have to put on their capsules like "Do not record a podcast." <laughs> I mean, in general, heavy on machinery, or off that medicine, heavy machinery, podcast, the two things, pregnancy, the three forbidden things. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I think you should probably do every podcast. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sick or not, just load up on the quill. Um, but Brian is going to do the true history of Ronald Ross, mm-hmm. and Kate will give us the uh, the alternate. Yes. Um, so I think without further ado, if we're all prepped and ready, yeah. Um, I want to say before I really get into it, um, <laughs> my sources for this episode they seem trustworthy, um, but the URLs do not sound trustworthy. <laughs> But they were famousscientists.org, um, malariasite.com, 
RussianSpyPorn.net <laughs> and Wikipedia. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. TrueFacts.co.uz. I don't even know what domain UZ is. But... <laughs> I think that's Uzbekistan. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, oh, and there's something that's also HistoryFeet.net. Uh, I don't know what that. <laughs> Uh, an A or two E's. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a pun. It's Quentin Tarantino's blog. Um, <laughs> so Ronald Ross, uh, who was a brilliant doctor and also kind of a tool, uh, was born on May 13th uh, in 1857 at a uh, Himalayan hill station in Almora, India. Uh, he was the eldest son of Sir Campbell Clay Grant Ross. Uh, which is very British. Uh, he was, in I fact, was going to a- say, <laughs> Ronald Ross does not strike me as a very Indian name. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing, not to spoil too much. Um, a lot of the fucking bullshit around this dude um, says he is the first non, per- he's the first person born outside of Europe uh, to win the Nobel Prize, <laughs> which is like, Sure. (laughs) I guess. Um, But uh, his dad was a general of the British Army. It's like how the Republican Party can't be xenophobic because Ted Cruz was born outside the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) The party of Lincoln. Um, uh, His mother's name was Matilda Charlotte Elderton. Uh, So, again, quite British. Um, He's part scone um he was part the, scone yes part scone uh and now i'm i'm assuming that's Lori. okay like is scone a british thing or an indian thing it's a british thing good i feel good making fun of it then yeah no 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 oh god no i would never um anyway uh i'm irish i can make fun of the british um ross was the eldest of 10 children um, and at age eight, he was sent to England where he lived with his great uncle, a retired doctor. Um, as he grew up, he developed a love for music, literature, poems, and math. Uh, so one of these things, not like the other. Typical, like <laughs> dashboard teen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, He's just writing equations on his forearm uh, with coheed lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, at age 14, he won a prize for math. Uh, and that prize was the book Orbs of Heaven, um, which helped f- further his interest in mathematics. Um, I like the name of that book because it could either be about math or it could be like an 1800s porn book. <laughs> yeah, that's... Only, only the best butts make it into orbs of heaven. <laughs> butts having been invented the previous winter. Age 16, he secured a first position in the drawing exams. Uh, I'm going to come clean right now, listeners. 
we were supposed to record this episode a couple of weeks ago. That's when I wrote this. So some of this shit, I can't remember what the fuck it means. Um, it's the drawing exams. You didn't have those? Yeah, first position. Uh, we went to the same high school and you didn't have the drawing exams? <laughs> <laughs> um, he initially wanted to be a writer, uh, but his father pressured him to enroll at St. Bartholomew's Hospital Medical College in London in 1874. Um, even while he was there, though, he uh, spent his time writing plays, poems, and composing music. Um, despite those uh, distractions, he graduated in 1880. Um, he passed the examinations for uh, the Royal College of Surgeons of England uh, the year before, uh, and he started working as a ship's surgeon on a transatlantic steamship. Uh, studied for a license from the Society of Apothecaries. Uh, he passed on the second try in 1881, and uh, that allowed him to join the Army Medical School. Uh, and eventually, he entered the Indian Medical Service uh, in September of 1881. Um, he, a couple years later, became the acting garrison surgeon in Bengaluru, uh, which was at the time called uh, Bangalore. Uh, or not at the time, by the British, called Bangalore. Um, Still commonly called Bangalore yeah. by people yeah. in the world. <laughs> I um, I tried to give preferential treatment to the names given, the place names given by the people who live there. Um, oh yeah, I'm not, I'll I'm offer. not criticizing no, totally. you. I'm, I'm saying for the um, listeners' sakes. But I am criticizing myself because I honestly thought it was just called Bangalore. <laughs> That was one of the ones I wasn't sure what the um, what the translation was, but um, the the medical community sort of already knew that there was a connection between mosquitoes and malaria. Um, and while working in Bengaluru, uh, Ross realized that controlling mosquitoes' access to standing water helped control the mosquito population, um, and this was sort of a pretty fundamental breakthrough in limiting the uh, spread of malaria. Um, on furlough in 1888, Ross um, continued his education and obtained a diploma in public health. Um, and that same year, he uh, married Rosa Bessie Bloxham, <laughs> which is from a children's oh, song. Yeah, she was uh, one of the characters from a musical from the 50s. I think yeah. in The Music Man. <laughs> one of the like bad children in a rolled doll thing. I yeah, think. exactly. Uh, <laughs> music man. <laughs> um, together they had four children, two sons and two daughters. Um, and then Ross really started getting into malaria research at this time. Um, he the corresponded. Edgelord world of malaria research. <laughs> the dark web of malaria research. <laughs> fucking take the black pill and get into malaria research. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> um, well, was he inspired by the discovery that they were fucking in the water? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it, that was the title sure. of his paper. Mosquitoes be fucking in water. Mosquitoes fucking in water. Sounds hot. <laughs> An S a thesis by Ronald Ross. <laughs> this thesis is three minutes long. Um, 
Mosquitoes be fucking in still water. When I turn on hot tub, they stop be fucking. <laughs> I mean, that is basically a scientific hypothesis. <laughs> you you can test that. Uh, so he corresponded with Patrick Manson, who is the sort of chief British expert on malaria and other tropical diseases. Um, Manson had worked with a French army doctor uh, who I only got the last name, uh, which was Lavoran. Um, I don't know if that's how it's actually supposed to be pronounced. I don't care. Um, he's French. Um, and Lavoran and Mason had both observed a parasite in blood samples of malaria victims and suggested that parasite was the cause of malaria. Um, and so Ross started working to find the exact mechanism of the spread of malaria. And he worked for about two and a half years in England with no success. He was returned uh, to India after that time. Uh, and he was working in Mumbai, um, Bombay to the British. Uh, when he arrived by steamship, he didn't even bother to like stop and collect his luggage. He went straight from the ship to the Mumbai Civil Hospital uh, to make uh, blood films of malaria patients. Um, blood films? Yeah. I, I'm, it sounds like a microscope thing. Or it sounds like a fucking, I don't know, uh, fucking... Yeah, it sounds bowl. like something from the 70s that like... People who are way too into horror are like, you ever see this blood film? <laughs> <laughs> or people who are not into horror at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but he was then frustrated because while he was working in Mumbai, he was transferred uh, back to Bengaluru, which had no active malaria. He was just supposed to treat the cholera outbreak. And <laughs> this is the kind of shithousery he sort of got up to because like at that point he wrote to Manson complaining that he had no work to do <laughs> uh, even though there was an active cholera outbreak um, so he went on a research leave in 1897 in Sigurgat uh, because there was a lot of malaria there and he was like cool I want to go there so he went and he got malaria um, <laughs> which funny old thing that um, but he treated himself with quinine and he wrote some poetry, um, which I have right here. I love what a soft boy this yes. is. Yeah. Such a soft boy. Uh, um, just like a gloopy marshmallow boy. Um, <clears throat> he had like a study. Uh, I assume he's, he has a studded bracelet the entire time he's in the hospital <laughs> with malaria. Yeah. No, <laughs> Hair dyed black. Like I'm, like over his eyes as much as possible. Yeah, he ordered from the Hot Topic catalog, which was before it was a brick and mortar store. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the poem he wrote when he had malaria contains the lines, what ails the solitude? Is this the judgment day? The sky is red as blood. The very rocks decay. This is really giving a lot of, <laughs> a lot of support to Zach's thesis. Um, and crack and crumble. And there's a flame of wind wherewith the burning sand is ever massed and thin. The world is white with heat. The world is rent and riven. The world and heavens meet. The lost stars cry in heaven. Sure. Um, 
So, so just put that to like Fallout Boy tunes. Like get a Fallout mm-hmm. Boy like tune in the background and be like, the world is masked and we then. <laughs> that was that was great a fallout boy <laughs> it, it had a little bit of chris caraba in it uh if i can just give a note yeah uh that was the dashboard guy right i i, I that chris caraba was the dashboard guy yeah I, I think it's a little more pop punk though like when okay. i listen to it like give me a line um let's see the sky is red as blood the very rocks decay the sky is red as blood. The very rocks decay. I'm yeah, getting. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's a Fallout Boy tune. I'm getting My Chemical Romance vibes. Actually, I, I probably just blew out the mic. By the way, <laughs> yeah, it's that's probably what I meant. super unpleasant for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably been looking at his blood films for too long, and then. Yeah. Medication. It, I was like, oh, everything's red. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Those blood films will just desensitize you to, <laughs> to good poetry. Um, so while he was being all malarial, um, he noticed uh, a mosquito on the wall of his hut uh, in what he described as a peculiar posture. <laughs> I have no idea what that could be. There's a lot of in-depth mosquito shit in this. Classic, classic, like uh, Jerry Seinfeld 1992 bit about, you ever seen a mosquito with weird posture? (laughs) (laughs) What's going on with that mosquito? (laughs) Classic Jerry Seinfeld bit. (laughs) What's the deal with that mosquito? Uh... So he described that that weird ass mosquito as quote a dapple winged mosquito, not knowing the species at the time, uh, which has a Latin name I did not write down two weeks ago. But he began culturing those dapple winged mosquitoes and brown mosquitoes in the lab. Uh, he then paid an infected man, Hussein Khan, uh, eight annas, which is the equivalent of half a rupee. Uh, so not a lot. To allow the half a rupee then, half a rupee now. I believe half a rupee then. Okay. Um, I couldn't find a clear answer on that. To allow the mosquitoes to feed on him, Ross then, and this is this is the crazy thing to me. Ross then dissected the mosquitoes. (laughs) Um, and you know, booyah! There's a malaria parasite, um, proving Lavaron and Manson's hypothesis. So he published his discovery on August 27th, 1897. And to celebrate, he wrote a poem. <laughs> um, nice. And sent it to his wife, uh, which includes uh, the lines, This day relenting God hath placed within my hand a wondrous thing, and God be praised at his command. Seeking his secret deeds with tears and toiling breath, Ooh. I find thy cunning seeds, O million murdering death. I like I, this. Yeah. I, I like know, this god who, like, kind of fucks. Yeah, yeah, no, this god fucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> TGIF. Um, 
I know this little thing, a myriad. This god if fucks? <laughs> Thank you. I don't know what the eye is. There we go. Thank God I fuck. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll fix it in post. Uh, I know this little thing, a myriad men will save. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Thy victory, O oh grave. Um, don't know if he thought people would be immortal um, at that time. Um. After this discovery, uh, he's transferred to malaria-free Rajasthan, um, and he threatened to resign unless he got his hands on some malaria patients. Oh wow! Um, and Just Manson, loves it. In- yeah, uh, Manson intervened. Kind of a prima. He's kind of a prima donna for malaria. Um, Manson intervened and convinced the government to assign him to special duty in Kolkata, uh, Calcutta. Don't know if you needed that one. Um, he had no success with malaria patients there because people who had malaria in Kolkata were actually given medication like right away. Um, so there was no, like, there were no people who were really sick for him to do experiments on, which sounds fucked up, but that's how they did science, I guess. Um, I mean, to some degree, that's still how they do science. Yeah. Yeah. You need some cancer patients if you're going to experiment yeah. on cancer. I, I hate to say it, but it's just a fact. No, it's true. I think the part to me that is fucked up is that he's like, ah, Yeah. Um, so he built his own bungalow with a laboratory at uh, Mahanad Village. And he went around the village to collect mosquitoes with an Indian scientist, Kishori Mohan Bandiopadhyay, along with his assistants, Muhammad Bucks. And a man who we just Ooh. get the name Perbuna. Who... I like Mohammed Bucks though as a name. Yeah, yeah. that's a... there was like a if there was like a a hip hop artist called Mohammed Bucks, I'd be like, yeah, okay, right. yeah. <laughs> I can get into it. Yeah, DJ, run that back. And another man we just get the name Perbuna for him, who left uh, Ross after his first payday. Um, a lot of the literature seemed to be like, oh. Man, he he was just in it for the money. But I think there's also a distinct possibility that Ronald Ross was kind of a dick. I also wish Mohammed Bucks had left him after the first payday. Yeah, exactly. Feel more appropriate. Did his solo album. Hey, got them Bucks? I'm out of (laughs) here. Jesus. (laughs) Um, Manson persuaded um, Ross to study bird malaria instead of human malaria since he didn't have access to a lot of good quality human patients. Um, In typical fashion, he threw a fit uh, saying he didn't need to be in India to study bird malaria, uh, but he eventually like complied. And uh, the thing is, bird malaria, human malaria, in the dark, the parasites are really similar. Um, It's all, it's all one (laughs) malaria. one so, malaria, which was like the weakest, <laughs> the weakest celebrity cause of ever like one <laughs> malaria. You know, one yeah. love was good, and then they tried one malaria. It's like Farm uh, aid, one malaria. When Paul McCartney played at one malaria, it was really like this is this is. Too Do much. they oh. know it's malaria? Like, what was that song? <laughs> Can we get one of the Good Beatles? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's the two good get Beatles. together and <laughs> chill, Steve, <or> swing. 
perfect. Um, so in July 1898, he discovered that, in particular, the mosquito salivary gland was where malarial parasites were stored. He used and he used infected birds to demonstrate the full life cycle of malaria parasites. He resigned the Indian Medical Service in 1899 and became a lecturer at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. But he continued to work in malaria prevention in uh, West Africa, the Suez Canal Zone, Greece, Mauritius, Cyprus, and uh, places later affected by uh, World War I. And he also created what proved to be very effective organizations for fighting malaria in India and Sri Lanka. In 1917, he became the honorary consultant in malariology with the British War Office. Uh, and a, oh, I guess it is. That was my reaction, too. <laughs> Microsoft Word says it's a word. Um, he was sent to Thessaloniki. Uh, so many words in, in this paragraph that are hard. Uh, he was sent to Thessaloniki to consult, uh, and his ship narrowly escaped being torpedoed by... Um, Probably the Germans, um, and Natch. Safe he, <laughs> he wrote a poem to commemorate the event, sure. um, saying that the. I won't read the whole thing, but saying the torpedoing happened quote where Sappho is said to have drowned hers. I promise that's the last poetry I have. <laughs> um, he developed math mathematical models of malaria epidemiology. In 1926, he helped found the Ross Institute for Hospital and Tropical Diseases and became its first director, uh, which would it, <laughs> kind of be weird if he wasn't the first director of that, but still. Um, and then... It was actually Ross from Friends who was the first director. <laughs> yep. Not even David Schwimmer, Ross from Friends. Ross from Friends, yeah. Which is the almost, I would say, worse than Ronald Ross. Yeah. Um, very much weird about uh, his wife being a lesbian. Not cool with it. In retrospect, when you watch those episodes today, maybe fucking Ross chill out about some shit, okay? I've I've only seen like a handful of Friends episodes, so... Oh, they're all transphobic and homophobic. It's all right. Yeah, that... Yeah. Getting back more into his dickishness, starting in 1898... Um, he starts having a bitter feud with Italian physician Giovanni Battista Grassi. Um, Grassi, along with uh, two others, uh, published a paper that year confirming Ross's findings about the malaria parasite being spread through mosquitoes. But they published that paper without mentioning Ross or giving credit to him. Uh, so Ross sent angry letters to all the journals that published Grassi's work, uh, calling him, among other things, a parasite and a cheap crook. Um, and Grassi responded in kind. Um, the, letters, the letters got so personal and intense that journal editors feared to publish them out of concerns about libel. Basically, Grassi's defense was that he said he wasn't familiar with Ross's work. So Ross wrote in Dr. Very British, T. Edmonston Charles. Uh, when your when your first initial is T, also that's very British. Um, who observed the Italian team's experiments when they were originally being conducted, and uh, Edmonston Charles said that Grassi was indeed aware of Ross's work. So maybe he was. In 1902, uh, the Nobel Committee was deciding the prize for medicine, 
And they had originally intended it to be shared between Ross and Grassi uh, for this uh, discovery. Uh, and Ross got so mad on hearing this news that he got his friend Robert Koch, who was designated as the neutral arbiter of the Nobel Committee, but who was also a close personal friend of Ronald Ross, to insist that Grassi didn't deserve the honor and the Nobel Committee uh, scratched Grassi's name uh, <laughs> off the list. And uh, Ross holds the prize himself, basically. This led me to a discovery of one of my favorite Wikipedia sections, which is Nobel Prize Controversies. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's a hoot. If you're, if you're petty like me, Ross was knighted in 1911. I guess I should have been calling him sir this whole time. Whatever. Um, we're not subject to the queen anymore. In 1912... He was appointed London's physician for tropical diseases at King's College Hospital, and he died due to a long-term illness coupled with asthma on September 16th, 1932, hmm. Hmm. Uh, at age 75, and was buried. Sounds like uh, maybe maybe his death due to that illness doesn't count because he had a comorbidity, huh? <laughs> Jesus Maybe uh, only 6% of deaths around that illness actually count. Hmm? <laughs> Maybe uh, I, that's what we should take away from this story. Hmm? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, like, I know you're kidding. And no, I'm talking about that... a deeply dangerous ideology that uh, <laughs> no, I know. will contribute to many to hear. Well, And it also reminds me of Adam Carolla, which is not my favorite thing <laughs> for myriad reasons. Well, I am the Adam Carolla of the revisionists. <laughs> makes you the Jimmy Kimmel of the revisionists, so congratulations. It's the slightly better option. Hey, I think it's the much better option. Yeah, no, it, it is the better option now, I think, if if we rewind the clock a little bit. Uh, but uh, is, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Is that the end? of? Uh... No, yeah, uh, he's buried next to his wife uh, in the last very British phrase I'll utter Putney Vale Cemetery. Uh, so, and that's the actual history of Ronald Ross. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, and a man who like studied uh, malaria and mosquitoes. Interestingly, I have seen uh, from scientists that mosquitoes are like the only organism that they don't know what like useful purpose they serve in the world. <laughs> Which, to counteract my 6%, uh, like thing I said earlier, makes them the Republicans of the animal kingdom. <laughs> um, they only exist to survive and feed themselves off the blood of others. Uh, but an interesting... I'm okay. It's, it's two months from the election. Let's be real. These people need to fucking go down. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, thank you for your uh, real account of the story, Brian. But I think uh, I think uh, Kate might have a different view on what actually occurred in the life of Ronald Ross. I do. Very different. In fact, Brian said Ronald was knighted in 1911. This is just not even possible because <laughs> Ronald Ross was actually born in 1911. And nobody's knighted. You've never seen the movie Night Babies? <laughs> Night Babies. <laughs> Just a baby on the knee in front of the queen. Baby with a sword. Yeah. I mean, baby on a tiny horse. 
But um, our stories like kind of align a little bit because Ronald Ross was a British medical doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a young man, he was like, like Brian said, really passionate about art, poetry. Uh, but he really, really loved painting and always dreamed of being a famous painter. But he was mm-hmm. also really, really good at mathematics. And so his teachers and parents kind of forced him into medicine. And he mostly did painting as a side hobby where he could. Mm-hmm. Um, he did ace his drawing exams. He was the best drawer in the class. They were like, you're an artistic genius. But, you know, you're also really good at math. So let's go. Let's go the science direction. I like the picture, though, <laughs> that, like, the drawing exam was, like, him copying the turtle from the art school brochure. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. But it was relevant. <laughs> perfect (laughs) um so yeah he went to medical school um in 1941 he actually kind of in his postdoc stage started doing some medical research in india um and he just you know he kind of pushed back his creativity and his artistic side and his desire to paint for so long but when he was in india he was just so inspired by the diversity of the landscapes there Mm-hmm. You know, there's huge mountain ranges, lots of different types of trees. There's deserts, there's plains, there's the coastline. It's just beautiful and diverse. Yeah. Gorgeous and rivers. Yeah, all that stuff. Gorgeous. Unbelievable. And he was just thinking to himself, oh, my God, I, I've completely forgotten this expressive, artistic side of me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like India is bringing back this desire in me to paint. Um, you know, he was just thinking to himself, I just, you see those happy little trees, those happy little trees over there. I just want to paint them. I want to paint those trees so bad. But his, his research institution was like, you can't create trees, dude. You can't paint mountains. Stop calling them happy little trees. We need you. We need to. (laughs) Early in this podcast, did I accidentally say Robert Ross? (laughs) You did, I think. I did accidentally say Robert Ross. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Got the shining. Yes. Uh, But yeah, they were like, you can't can't paint these trees. We need you to figure out what's going on inside of mosquito stomachs. (laughs) Which, when you put it like that, does sound a little ridiculous. Yeah. He was like, mosquitoes, this is the worst assignment of all time. Like, what am I going to do? I can't even deal with this. So, you mosquitoes know. <laughs> aren't happy. When you paint mosquitoes, they're always unhappy. <laughs> always unhappy. And they have such weird postures yeah. on the wall that it's like, you did, sometimes you just don't even know what you're going to get. How are you going to paint that? Fucking it's an alienating pop? figure. You know, you can't even. Oh. If, you, if you've ever been in a, like, a live drawing class with a nude mosquito model, you're like, I know what I do. <laughs> I know maybe it's not PC to say this nowadays, but mosquitoes have bad wait. posture. Okay. Mosquitoes have bad posture. I'm not afraid to say it. I know that the the left won't accept the truth about mosquito posture. Oh my gosh. Dayquil? Our yeah. sponsor for this episode. Uh-huh. So, yeah, he was trying to keep up with his mosquito research, you know, putting in, you know, a little bit there. 
But on the side, he was secretly painting. And he loved painting, and he felt so inspired by painting Indian landscapes that he wasn't just painting in private anymore. He felt what he was doing was so beautiful and so important that he actually started painting in public parks. And he was really talented. He's one of those guys, really- okay. <laughs> doing caricatures <laughs> now you say you like playing tennis and not having malaria <laughs> okay here we go but he could really draw a crowd and it was kind of instinctual for him to explain his brush strokes to those that were watching him you know, he'd, he'd okay. for a second I thought you meant like literally draw a crowd <laughs> No, no, no. I did too. I have to confess. <laughs> well, uh, he could draw the crowds after he drew the crowds. You know, <laughs> folks. Art imitates life. But yeah, he'd start, you know, sort of narrating his brushstrokes for everybody watching, and you know, just say things like, as he was making his trees, he'd be like, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, as you work down the tree. Push a little harder, as many strokes as you need, you know, things like that. And this American woman named Ollie was at the park, and she was kind of aroused and excited. (laughs) Okay, because I was going to say. Yeah, this is a pretty erotic description of how to paint a tree. And she was like, (laughs) Ronald, I like your trees. I like what you're doing here. (laughs) <laughs> That's just the, the most erotic possible response. To <laughs> I like what you're doing here. <laughs> well, yeah, and a passion ensued, you know, a, an, an exciting affair sparked by tree romance. And in 1942, Ronald actually got Ollie pregnant out of wedlock. Um, but he said, there are no mistakes, only happy accidents. Jesus. Um, <laughs> Only half-accidents. And he actually, uh, they ended up having to move back to America, and they moved to Ollie's hometown of Orlando, Florida. Uh, very oh, lovely, place. lovely place. Beautiful. Um, and Ollie actually gave birth to their son, Robert Ross, Bob Ross, on October 29th, 1942. Uh, <laughs> Beautiful newborn baby. He came out with like sort of like a Jufro on his head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like already packing it. <laughs> and, um, already building the brand. Already yeah. building the brand. And Ronald, you know, Ronald at this point, he kind of given up on medicine. He really thought he could make it as a painter in Orlando, but he just realized the setting wasn't as Home beautiful. of the arts. <laughs> It wasn't as beautiful. They were at the time. They were really just sort of really bringing the strip malls in, in the forties and fifties, and um, you know times were tough. Uh, the artistic mecca of Disney World, yeah. <laughs> just down the road from beautiful Tampa, Universal <laughs> Studios, where artists thrive. <laughs> yeah. Times times were definitely tough. He tried to get into primary care medicine in Orlando, and everyone was like, um, you're not even a real doctor. You just kind of studied mosquito stomachs for a year in India. No. <laughs> to be fair, valid. Very valid. <laughs> 
So yeah, things things were pretty pretty tough for the Ross family for a little bit there. Ronald did have to start working as a caricature artist at Disney World. You really mm. called this one, Zach. Yeah, he mm. did. Started doing caricatures at Disney World. Ollie was waitressing. Ronald started drinking really, really heavily. It was mm. pretty bad. You know, you just you just felt stuck. Pretty mm. emotionally. Got pretty emotionally abusive to Bob and Ollie, and and Bob kind of kind of turned inward. A pretty reclusive kid. The only place that that he really found solace was taking care of injured animals like armadillos and snakes and alligators, because uh, we are in Orlando. <laughs> and, um, you know, he'd kind of care for these animals, and Bob Bob actually started drawing the animals that he was taking care of and realized that he had a real aptitude for artistic talent as well. And um, early on in elementary school, Bob's teachers, they noticed that he had a knack for painting and this drove Ronald crazy, you know, because he was just so broken from doing caricatures at Disney World for so many years. And, you know, Ronald really took this frustration out on Bob and Bob just always remained like a really chill, quiet kid, just like, Dad, what's the big deal? I'm just trying to paint some happy little trees here. You know, it just wasn't, it wasn't good. So Ronald eventually died. (laughs) As as you do. (laughs) He died in 1982 at age 71 of liver failure, you know, and Never really did much with his life. You know, we had the year. <laughs> I love that choice. <laughs> we, you know, we had the year of malarial research. We had several more years of caricatures at Disney World. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a very, you know, Ronald Ross isn't even really someone anyone's heard of, you know. But his death was a pretty big awakening for Bob, you know, because Bob finally felt for the first time in his life that he could paint freely without judgment from his dad. And he just felt so inspired that, you know, he just walked right up to the PBS PBS station in Muncie, Indiana, you know, and he said, I have to share my joy of painting with the world. He walked uh, from Florida to Indiana. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pilgrimage. <laughs> he's a traveling man. He and only in the most exciting of the states, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, Georgia, <laughs> Tennessee, <laughs> Kentucky, yeah. and of course Indiana. Indiana. <laughs> we call it the excitement belt. <laughs> Florida, Indiana, <laughs> states that are red but not insanely red. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, that was it, that's where it all started. And that that is how Bob Ross's The Joy of Painting got on the air. It was on the air from 1983 to 1994. And, you know, we might not think of Ronald Ross when we think of The Joy of Painting and the gift mm-hmm. that Bob Ross gave us with his happy little trees. But we do, you know, if it were not for Ronald, we would not have Bob. If it were not for Ronald inspiration in India and the, the way that he fell in love with trees in India, we would not have Bob Ross. So I think we should all feel really grateful for Ronald mm-hmm. for those reasons. Sure. Sure. Also, if you look closely at a uh, caricature from Disneyland from like 
the 50s or 60s, if you've held on to one, uh, <laughs> you might notice that in the background, someone drew a giant mosquito stinging the fuck out of you. Yeah, he signed every picture with just a <laughs> Yeah, one of those one of those caricatures inspired uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> he put one in some amber, and it was like, oh, that's yeah. Steven Spielberg got one when he was a kid in the fifties. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. I don't know. Fifties or uh, uh, Kate, thank you. You're welcome. That is the truth about Ronald Ross. Don't listen to Brian. <laughs> Generally good advice, uh, except when we're about to do plugs. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Kate had to head out to uh, get to a show, but uh, real quick, I do want to say, hey, listeners, if you have some money that you're not throwing at a better cause, you can give it to us uh, by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the revisionist, uh, pledge a dollar a month uh, even, or $5 a month if if you're a freak. Um and that would be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also uh, sort of become part of our uh, community by following us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, uh, or writing us a question or comment on our website, revisionistpodcast.com. Just click the contact button. Um, we also ask that you review the show on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, written reviews in particular, are real helpful. Um, so. And as always, write whatever silly shit you want to write in your mm-hmm. written review. We encourage any non sequitur and any piece of profanity as long as it's a five star <laughs> review. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cut and copy your favorite, like Draco Harry smut fic. <laughs> You know, your favorite one. Of, no. I'm sh- I'm honestly sure there are hundreds, if not thousands of those. There are definitely thousands. <laughs> Great. Oh, yeah, Draco Harry's the pairing. I can see really getting a lot of, getting yeah. a lot of steam. I mean, there's thousands of every pairing, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. McGonagall Sprout. Um, yeah, JK mm-hmm. Rowling is trash. Um, Neville, anyway. Neville Fenrir Greyback, I'm sure. <laughs> These are some deep pulls, yeah. Um, so Zach, you also co host another podcast. I do, it's called The Movie Trap, and you can listen to it, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. As of this recording, the most recent episode. Well, we, I think we have one coming out uh, tomorrow, which will be the first in our new series, which is our lead up to, oh no, it will be the conclusion. It'll be uh, tomorrow. The episode coming out will be the episode Brian's on. It'll Yay. be, uh, by the time this is out, you'll know, Police Academy, <laughs> uh, the 1985 Steve Gutenberg masterpiece. Oh, <laughs> um and you can hear all of Brian and I talking with my other co-hosts, Chris and Russell, about uh, Police Academy, if you so choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, we had an interview with uh, uh, the writer of the Stanford Prison Experiment, who has also written on numerous TV projects, including South Park, uh, our first interview. Uh, so feel free to go back and listen to uh, 
our first interview with a person who actually works in the industry, if you so choose. Nice. Um, yeah, listeners, I think I'll, we'll just continue the trend also that we've been on for the last few months of plugging registering to vote and voting and not voting for Republicans. No. Um, really, that's it's a three-part task. It's incredibly easy to do. Yeah. Um, so do that. Um, if you can, I haven't mentioned this in a while, donate blood. Blood banks are in need, uh, especially during COVID and especially during the summer. Uh, this is coming out right before Labor Day. Summer holidays are a big time of need for blood banks. Uh, this is, I guess, mosquitoes put that on my mind. Um, but, and of course, uh, if you can donate to um, community support funds, um, especially, hey, in your area, there are a lot of funds in areas that have seen really public incidents of police violence that those funds then get a lot of attention, which is great. But if you haven't had a high profile incident in your area, that might mean that your local fund is in need. So try to try to find them if you can. But that brings us to judgment, mm. uh, which falls to Zach. Uh, again, Kate has left us, but take it away. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Brian said that uh, Ronald Ross was, uh, and, and uh, illustrated that Ronald Ross was a bit of a tool. Um, and then, you know, Kate provided a story that was uh, a story of a small, a man who did not do much in his life, <laughs> but eventually produced Bob Ross. And you know what? I think the re the real version that Brian created of Ronald Ross, um, the guy who wrote, you know, screamo lyrics <laughs> would appreciate us pouring out a little, Pouring out a little something for the little guy, the guy who was frustrated in his life, uh, and maybe he didn't amount to something himself, but uh, created something bigger in his own death. And I think that's very, very in line with the, uh, <laughs> the early two thousands, you know, emo, screamo, pop punk aesthetic. And so mm -hmm. for that reason, I think I'm going to have to go with the alternate history. Of 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 the father of Bob Ross, who was just kind of a frustrated little man. <laughs> uh, well, listeners, voting is now open on Patreon if you are a donor. And uh, pay attention to the Instagram feed where next Wednesday there will be the final round of voting. Um, but uh, that'll do it for this episode i believe uh thank you to kate strobel for joining us yep. um find her on twitter uh and uh instagram she's a great stand-up uh once that becomes a thing again um go go check her out um or you know maybe you'll find a show in a parking lot i don't yeah, know there are those. that's that's happening sometimes yeah. um but zach thank you thank you uh, for everyone here at The Revisionist, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Have a good time.
September 5th, 1698. In an effort to westernize Russian nobility, Peter the Great orders a tax on beards. Russian nobles respond by sending their beards to the Cayman Islands. September 5th, 1774. The First Continental Congress meets in Philadelphia and proposes throwing D-sized batteries at redcoats. I'm going to take that one again. Sorry. I think if you want to make a timely, you should say soup cans. Yeah. <laughs> what a dumb fucking thing. Uh, last one. September 5th, 1793. The French National Convention initiates the Reign of Terror, which at the time was called the Couple Days of Terror, Tops. All right, that's all I got. All right, I've got three also. September 5th, 19... Or already, immediately. This is what happens when you have... Day quill. Yeah, exactly. September 5th, 1698. In an effort to westernize his nobility, Tsar Peter I of Russia imposes a tax on beards for all men except the clergy and peasantry. The gay community reels as a bear market plummets. September 1, 1781. The Battle of Chesapeake and the American Revolutionary War. The British Navy is repelled by the French Navy, contributing to the British surrender at Yorktown. Americans would show their appreciation by spending the next quarter of a millennium talking shit about French people nonstop. Almost got through. Not the best one anyway. I'm just going to go on. Sorry. No, that's okay. September 5th, 1793. The French National Convention initiates the Reign of Terror, or as people constantly using guillotine memes call it, the Reign of what now? Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. All right. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, it's okay. Dayquil fucks, fucks you I up. I know. I took it about 30 minutes ago and it's... Oh, God. <laughs> You're on the up and up. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Drugs. 